Hello, and welcome to the Space Cave, a big warg to all of you space burgers out there, and a reminder that the five-year anniversary of the junk show, depending on when you're listening to this, is this Sunday, April 14th at the Copper Still on Beverly Boulevard in Los Angeles at 8 p.m. The address is 4485 Beverly Boulevard. Animation, stand-up, music, uh, some, a variety of different things, short films. You'll enjoy it if you've never been now's a good time so come check it out and um before we get into the chat which i'm excited about if you listen to part one i thoroughly loved it i hope you did too i think it's a good um a good representation of of what i like about this show like doing it and um but before we do that we are up to 47 patrons patreon subscriber people which is three away from the first goal you can list all these goals you'd like to get to so we're three away so thanks to Stoveman, luke donkel dennis whitkin and tom lettieri i hope i'm saying that correctly uh for being the latest patrons and uh there are a variety of different awards or rewards whatever you call them for signing up you get things annually or even biannually for being a, a part of the team i know that was a lot of dudes but uh, I think it's right down the middle, kind of 50-50. So uh, I'm proud of that for this show, that it's not just a collection of uh, one gender or the other. Like, well, we, we all get it. This show is very um, evenly split, which I like. So thanks to everyone who supports the show that way. It does make everything a lot easier. Buying beer, buying music, um, hosting the show, web space, all that stuff. Tech gear, should I need it? And I, I make some things, stickers and t-shirts that I a lot of times give to the guests and or if you're a patron, I send you a little sticker depending on what tier you get in. And again, with those biannual rewards, you might get something in the mail, maybe even a, a little hand-drawn thing or note from me. So if any of that interests you, get on board, patreon.com. I think it's just slash David Huntsberger, I believe. Anyway, if you've been thinking about doing it, Now's as good a time of any. Okay, let's get into part two of this chat. I thoroughly enjoyed it. If you haven't gone out and checked out a little bit more about Jay, I highly recommend it. She's fascinating just in her life and what she does, and very thankful she came by to spend a little time talking about that and how to how to exist, essentially, and do it as well as you can. Here's part two with more Guinness with Jay Ellard. The feeling of, I'm, I'm only going to do this because it might lead to something in the future and or i think as you get older you make those decisions where you're like once someone has proven to you that they are just a beautiful person or someone you want in your life it doesn't become like i'm going to do something nice to them in the hopes of it's just yeah. like i like them and they continuously do the same thing for me unannounced those are the best relationships yeah and i i i i i this is maybe off topic a little bit, but I think mental health factors into this to some degree. Mm -hmm. Every time someone has, um, you know, how, whether it's fatal or otherwise, um, a mental health thing, mm -hmm. 
the internet or the world at large goes, if you need help, reach out. But what do people do? If they if you find a friend that's always complaining and or saying, I need help, people give that a few tries and then they go, I gotta just hang out with other people. So-and-so's yeah. always bummed out or they're always a downer. And that's unfair because it's like they came to you because they, they feel like you're a friend and are they cashing in favors? No, but they're genuinely saying like, I need a little help. Right. So those to me are the most interesting ones where like, can you keep doing that? Can you keep reaching out, helping people that you love that consistently make mistakes, whether that's substance abuse or not getting help for mental health and just continue to kind of be miserable and focused on themselves. Do you have people like that in your life? Um, Not so much anymore, but I, I am familiar and I'm sure more will come and cycle in. And I've definitely come across that um, scenario in, in teaching and just being able to hold the space and it comes back to that acknowledgement of just being able to be with that person and hold hold compassion for them without trying to fix them. Yeah. And this is where I find my my old self would get wrapped a lot around trying to fix them. Mm-hmm. Like, and oh God, I cannot tell you how many books I've recommended to people. Like my solution was always like, read this book, do this, or like go to this workshop. And like, I wanted to fix them. Like I'll yeah. send you to the workshop. I'll buy you the book. Do you want an audio format? And like give them a tool. And what I realized, thank God, eventually was just holding the space and listening without judgment. Sometimes was all that was needed. Mm-hmm. And over time when someone feels heard sometimes that's enough for them to get out of that route that mm-hmm. cycle or to seek additional help and the other thing that took me a long time to learn was drawing the boundary between being an empathetic listener and knowing when to encourage someone to seek real help yeah and and helping and that might have been my my training as like a executive coach or whatever that the international coaching whatever which really helped me to understand that the value between here's what a a coach and a guidance and a therapy and friend like here's therapy here's coaching here's friendship here's partnership and these are when these people are necessary Mm -hmm. and they're and i think the same is true for being a meditation teacher um and i think that's why i go to holding space holding space is what a meditation meditation teacher does I not fixing, just holding the space. <laughs> I want to. There were periods learning, and I'm well into adulthood at this point. So these <laughs> through podcasts of learning, like things that I guess we intuitively know, um, empathy as a term, as an over, we're just thinking yeah. like, oh, I guess I know what that means. But really talking about emotional intelligence, things where yeah. I was like, I don't know that I've ever talked about what that concept is. Mm-hmm. Now holding space to me seems like a new one where to talk about how you handle those with having four kind of facets of areas where maybe you could address it for me the only tools i had was were recognizing i'm doing all the things you were doing trying to help trying to help Mm -hmm. and only being met with behaviors that were essentially my friends doing things that were going to potentially end their lives in a way that was like this is not fair for me to just spill love at you yeah and it's just like it's pouring off the table yeah so i would say to them I don't know if it's holding space, but just like, I got to pull back. Yeah. Always going to love you, be there for you, but I can't continue to do this. Mm -hmm. So I got to just peel back a step or a a half step at least. And sometimes I would resonate with them where they would, 
you know, just me not really being there holding their arm as much yeah. would, and behaviors have changed in the past. Friends that I'm so thrilled now have like really turned it around. Yeah. But I've liked this idea of holding space where like, I don't know the tools. And mm-hmm. so when you just laid out those four things, like you can examine, okay, what tool bag do I go into? Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. And it's a lot of schooling and work that's <laughs> helped taught that because like I wasn't taught this. And you said something that I really want to address is the reason I do what I do is because it, I didn't learn it. We're not taught this in school. And yeah. now kids are learning social emotional intelligence more in schools, which is great. I think it's going to, be huge impacts for the adult society in you know 10 20 yeah. 30 years but these weren't tools that i was learning at home they weren't tools i was learning in you know high school college and they weren't tools i was learning in a workplace and what i discovered was the people who and i went through years of therapy too so i learned some tools in therapy <laughs> and then my therapist I, I found a buddhist therapist who was amazing and she put me on my path a path toward Buddhism where I found some of my first teachers which really got me on the journey to to mindfulness and meditation but what I learned when I was speaking is if people had someone in their life who had some sort of an addiction or problem they had been exposed to like an AA program or an Al-Anon program and they had better tools than someone who hadn't had that in their life yeah or they had had some sort of trauma in their life where they'd sought out therapy they got some, you know, cognitive behavior therapy tools. That's a small percentage of the population. The rest of the people are just trying to do the best they can with the tools that they have. And like, you know, hopefully their parents taught them how to be kind. It always reminds me of like the natural instinct for whatever reason when humans are on fire is to run. Yeah. <laughs> Introducing more airflow. The fire's like, this is great. Keep doing that. And whoever figured out like, and I don't think rolling works as well as they <laughs> yeah. But, you know, jumping into water, wrapping yourself, eliminating the air, all these different tools or something like that. I, yeah. I would imagine for you, you're seeing a lot of people running around on fire. Like, yeah. Oh, you poor thing. You don't have any of the tools to work through this. Yeah. And sometimes just saying, oh, man, that sucks. You're on fire. <laughs> is, is, Maybe they even is notice powerful. it. Yeah. They well, oh, God, I'm on fire. Yeah. And, and kind of going back to the example, you're, you know, what you're sharing with your friends, sometimes setting those like loving boundaries, those, the loving compassion, the hard compassion is mm-hmm. the most loving thing you can do. Sometimes the most loving thing is a no. Yeah. And to say, you know, this is the space and the capacity in which I can be with you, and this is the space and capacity in which I cannot. Yeah. I love you for both spaces, but this is the way I can be with you. A friend of mine at one point when <clears throat> has turned around and is doing fantastic, but was like, oh, you know, it didn't help that you said you weren't going to be my friend anymore. And I was like, that is not at all. Yeah, that's exactly. So that, you can't say it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that yes. was really frustrating. I'm like, oh, God, yeah. God, like that's terrible. But that's not at all what happened. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that I, I felt confident in that. I felt like that realism or reality um, revelation, I think is the word I was looking for, of like, oh, I'm still your friend. But I have to acknowledge this, yeah. sort of establish, hey, this now exists here. There's just mm-hmm. a little chasm or whatever you would call it mm-hmm. that I'm not going to keep jumping over these huge gaps to come be with you on this very precarious sort of step you're yeah. wavering on. Yeah. And I can still be there for you. Totally. But not on that s- step. And yeah. it's, it's, you know, there's no tried and true formula for it. And it's such an important thing to always acknowledge when someone's reaching out, making that bid mm-hmm. for help and support. 
and sometimes they're not ready. They're trying. Right. And a teacher taught me this phrase that stayed with me for life. I love it. It's like, are you done yet? Mm-hmm. And it's okay if you're not. And sometimes even asking someone that question, like especially people who are like in a terrible relationship and they want to break up, I'm like, are you done yet? And it's okay if you're not. <laughs> like you cannot be done yet. Did you see Manchester by the Sea? No, I'm the third person. Oh, yeah. I need to I watch that. I think you'd really enjoy it. <laughs> but there's an aspect of that that ties into exactly what you're saying. Where, uh, and for me, it was like uh, losing my dog a few years ago, and just mm. the grief that went along with that, yeah. and kind of being honest and open with my partner, whoever else. Like, I'm not done yet. Yeah, like, I still need a more time or whatever that might mean. Yeah, and that's really, I mean, having that in a relationship where those old sort of preconceived like archetype things where I don't ever shed a tear or feel anything yeah. and I'm moving and that appeals to or applies I think to like the 50s era men and women mm-hmm. things like that we're just soldering through the, mm-hmm. the great depression no one feels anything like, yep. I like that it's coming back now it's a little softer and a little more like how are you yeah and have the grief oh for god's sakes this <laughs> yeah. is driving me crazy like the whole happiness movement it's great positive psychology amazing I'm not like banging on positive psychology but at the same time, it's making a lot of people think it's not okay to have their grief, have their sorrow. There are things in life that suck and things in life that are sad. Yeah. And there is no need to medicate it or hurry through it. Mm-hmm. You you lost a, a loved one. You lost a pet. You got out of a significant relationship. You had a professional failure, whatever. Like these are sad, uncomfortable things. Be sad, be uncomfortable. Don't pretend it away. Don't medicate it away. Be in it. And it takes as long as it takes. Mm -hmm. Are you done yet? No. When I went through a horrible, horrible, painful, painful disengagement. (laughs) And um, term is just sad. I know. We were disengaged. And I would wake up every day and I'd get on my meditation cushion and I'd set my little timer for 20 minutes and I would cry for 20 minutes <laughs> and the thing would ding and I'd be like, all right, I guess it's time to do my day now. And like, <laughs> I did that every day until I was done. And it was a lot longer than I think a lot of people thought I should be like timing myself crying every day and calling it meditation. Yeah. You know? And then one day I was just like, I kind of knew it in my gut. I'm like, I think I'm done today. I kept thinking of the sketch that ties into that of if you're at a company and they're assigning it as if it's very cookie cutter responses that you would go to HR and be like, I need some time off. I suffered a death. And they go, okay, well, we do 10 days for a loved one. We do four for a pet. We do like, but I need more. Like, nope, that's it. It's industry standard. And you'd be pleading like, but look at me. I'm, it's been eight days and I'm still nowhere near it. I'm sorry. It's all we got. Yep. And that we kind of approach it as a society that way you yep. know if someone is lost say a sibling when they were six years old and they're 31 sobbing about it yeah. we go what are you doing but that's right. totally allowable completely and our need to make things tidy and someone else's grief makes us uncomfortable and we want it to be tidy and we want don't want to deal with their discomfort mm-hmm. or we don't know what to say so then our choices to ignore it or not or make want you to get over it sooner because i don't know how to deal with it mm-hmm. and again it's another example of conversations we don't have instead of just saying to someone like dude i do not know what to do for you or with you or how to help you and that makes me feel so helpless yeah. i feel like a shitty friend 
then they would that's say, hard to say <laughs> absolutely and then people go oh you're making it about yourself you're like no 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 no. i'm just telling you like from where i'm coming from i don't want to just be an empty like so sorry to hear about that thoughts and prayers see ya. yeah a friend of mine one time i told him when my dog passed we'd had puppies at the exact same time Aww. 15 years later i emailed like hey man like had to put him down and he wrote back like sorry to hear that our thoughts are with you at this time and I was like, yeah. go fuck yourself. Yeah, exactly. Who says that to a friend? That's right. ridiculous. Right. And because we're not taught how to talk about real things. Mm-hmm. And even the sentence, I don't know what to say, might have felt better than these like cheap Hallmark phrases. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it just, oh, oh it drives me crazy because there's, I, I've seen such a desire for people to really want to connect and such a paralysis for how to do it because mm-hmm. we're not taught. Yeah. We're not taught in the ways that I think people are yearning or we make it this huge, big thing where no one can ever obtain it. It has to look like this movie or this Instagram or this yeah. whatever. And so everybody's going to fall short of that. And again, it goes back to like, you know, the egg sandwich. I'm like, isn't that enough? Like, are you kidding me? Like, to have such a sandwich made with such love and delivered with such a smile. My God, what more could any woman want? Yeah. Right? Like, it, it's that simple. I think about it and I want to z- go back to the holding the space too and more yeah. about like Zen and Buddhism. But yeah. I also, now that we're on this track, kind of think about like, out here in this sort of LA being synonymous with coaching and, and thinking and talking through and emotional intelligence and, and really trying to like, and then I think of some couple from the Midwest that was married forever and never said a crossword to one another, mm-hmm. at least publicly and or secretly confided in a friend. Like, can you believe this? It's just, <laughs> they always seem to be decent to each other yeah. in a very simple, and maybe it was matriarchal and patriarchal or maybe behind closed doors, they were like, Hey, I want to wear some of your clothes, and you can tell me your deepest, darkest <laughs> secret. Like I'd like to think it was really progressive, yeah. secretly. But that, to me, or maybe they never said a word to each other. They just read the paper. Did they know each other as well as they could or should have? Yeah, I think that is. Does that define like what the spectrum of knowing another human really is? Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I'm fascinated by it. Where this thing that we're doing out here, and not to say out here like LA is the only place in the world, but I yeah. just I think it does in some way people think of like hippy dippy stuff mm-hmm. it creates maybe a lot more connections if you have four points you have to connect on and then you're yeah. like oh now there's ten thousand points yeah i i part of me wonders about that in a way we're like well it's no sense worrying about but that that old couple there's something weird about that to me that's appealing like maybe i shouldn't get too big of a world yeah high school sweetheart small town 80 years married call it a life yeah i i <laughs> I have some strong opinions about this. I think that the consciousness movement in a lot of ways creates ridiculously high expectations in especially romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. And the realness, the salt and earth of like just being with another human being and loving them and not judging them and being okay with their isness and they're okay with your isness is quite a profound thing. Mm-hmm. And more profound in a way than looking for somebody who can have meet you on all 10,000 points. That's exhausting and unfair. Right. Oh, my God. Like, please find other people to talk to about other things. Like, that's a lot of pressure on a woman. (laughs) And that's a lot of pressure to put on another human being. And I think, what are the points that are the most important to share? And then the, the essence is making sure that 
those other points are respected. Yeah. And they might not be my jam, but like, I'm going to respect that. That's yeah. awesome. You go do that. Mm-hmm. But not having to meet so many quadrants and so many dimensions of this kind of consciousness movement, I think is really, I'm, I'm seeing hurt, hurting some people's relationships in unrealistic expectations. Yeah. I, I would definitely, yeah. you know, whether it's overhearing it or hearing someone, well, he was there throughout my father's cancer bed and he flew down and did this and... But when we were talking about this, he didn't understand the great Gatsby. And he was like, yeah. what are you doing? Right. Exa- and and that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, really? Like, lower your expectation. Did he make you an egg sandwich? <laughs> like, <laughs> I keep going back to that, but it's like, it's such an easy thing where we can miss what is actually happening when we focus too much on what's not happening. Mm-hmm. And then the, the ability to validate is what's not happening. Is it really worth it yeah is it really that important and there are like fundamental issues that if you disagree on like having children there's not a compromise there like like if one wants and one doesn't well then you have to have a a difficult conversation right there's things you can compromise on and then things that i think it goes back to the thing we were talking about of like that internal voice or the checklist of success and a lot of people being with someone like on paper great do i feel it i don't know yeah we'll just keep going a little longer and next thing you know they're just like ah, we're comfortable around each other like but you never got to feel that thing you never yeah. had the egg sandwich feeling right and like it goes back to what comes up for me is the list like i i'm sure you know some single person in your life who's made the list like yeah. these are the qualities of character that like this is who i want my significant other yeah. to be and a lot of times it's a list of what i say like our doing qualities they need to like these are the things they need to do in the world Mm -hmm. and i ask people sometimes and and i went through this process myself like who do i who do i want to be in relationship and who do i want this person to be in relationship i want them to be kind i want them to be caring i want them to be generous not i want them to be a vp of a company or like whatever your list might the doing list what's the being list Mm mm-hmm and I, then notice the being <laughs> like, oh, kind. Oh, that was kindness. Yeah, absolutely. You see the little things that you see that just spark off of there. You're like, that way, people sail right past them. They sail right past them. And if I can leave anything on the planet is help as many people as possible to notice those things so they don't sail past them because they're happening every day. And there's so many of them. They're great. And, I was at a 20 year anniversary party for the club owner and her husband in Austin when I lived there and toward the end of the party everyone was looking around and we peeked around they're secretly making out with each other I love it <laughs> right it was yeah. like oh. it wasn't ostentatious it was it was just like they were like ah come here you yeah and that was fantastic I think that's what you want I don't think anyone saw that and went like yeah but what does he do for a living it's right just so dumb exactly and we gotta untrain our minds and be willing to see the presence of a different possibility mm-hmm. and it's really hard with all the clutter and all the the media and all the messages around us to to see the presence of a different possibility and that's why what you're doing with this podcast and having these conversations and other people who are who are bringing this type of thinking and these types of ideas to a larger audience is so important because there is a presence of a different possibility it's harder to choose it Mm -hmm. because it's not as familiar but once you choose it it gets pretty easy do you find like is there a stress that comes along with people must look at you and be like well you've got it figured out (laughs) you're our rock like if anyone 
I try to be as honest and authentic as I can that like I'm still figuring it out. And the only difference between me and someone who's like in a first time meditation workshop with me is I have the tools to go do a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. So I might notice it in the moment like, oh, I just said something that's not really, you know, in alignment with my integrity. I need to go back and have that fix that where I can do it in the moment. Some people might take them a couple days, right? Mm-hmm. So I just get to the tools a little bit quicker. Like, oh, my mind's, I'm not paying attention. Come back to attention. Okay, I'm back at attention. I just get there quicker. That's the only difference. I still do it. Yeah. Like, I'm still guilty. I bring up my cell phone. I'm multitasking. And I'm like, whoa, wait, I feel really overwhelmed. Oh, probably because I'm doing three things. Stop <laughs> it. Right? I think, if, I mean, that tool is the heart, the trace back. You know, people lose yeah. their keys and they go, wait, wait, and they, they start working through it. It's so much harder to do that when you're like, I'm in a terrible mood. Was yeah. it something I ate? Is it how I slept? We got to go to those first. But then do we, you know, do people go, well, no, was that, weirdly, was this image I saw online or it was how, an right. interaction I saw with people. Can we really trace that back and rework our synapses and go, it was all those things. Yeah. That's why. It's so hard. So there's a, a skill that I actually learned from Deepak Chopra that teaches you the skill to be able to do that. And really? he works in the positive, um, mm-hmm. but it works the same if you want to trace back to the negative. But you, you, you practice the skill in the positive, and it's called recapitulation. <laughs> and at the end of the day, you're like going to bed, you lay in bed, and you recall your day, the moments of your day. And you do it in a way that you just notice what you recall. Mm-hmm. And so you might be... Um, laying in bed and you're like oh I drove to a meeting but when I was in traffic there's this guy next to me who like waved and smiled and that was really nice and and so you just notice what the recollection is um and you'll be amazed at the things that you recollect mm-hmm. it's not like a, a action by action replay of the day it it becomes like a playback of the moments of connection the moments of true experience that a lot of times are like that. And then I saw this image and it really made me smile. And they're like, where did that come from? I <laughs> yeah. didn't even like remember that I saw that image till right now. And so it, it trains you to look back in your day and look for the moments of connection, the moments of when I felt most alive. Mm-hmm. And then it allows you the skill to be able to more quickly be like, I'm in a really grumpy mood. Oh, you know why? Because I read that article online and it really made me mad, but I didn't tell anybody it made me mad. I just got in my car and drove to this meeting. Yeah. And so the skill trains your capacity for both. And it is such a fun, it's such a fun thing. And you can do it, you can do it with your partner too. It's so fun. Yeah, we try to do like a weekly sort of, what do you like about this week? Yeah. But a daily sort of, because you get in the habit too of the most, what would they be like? Common, I don't. That's probably the wrong word, but so 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 and so said this at like work. Transactional. I heard, yeah, transactional yeah. stuff. Where you're like, this really doesn't define a life or improve yeah. it, or it, it just is a thing in life that yeah. couldn't be more banal. And maybe there is some weight to it in some capacity, but overall, you're like, I'd rather talk about this bird that I saw and the yes. way that it hopped. It just did this, and I saw this woman feeding it, and you know, you used to see these things. That yes, I love that. That's recapitulation letting those moments come up and then letting those moments in the conversation mm-hmm. and be like, so it wasn't what you did today. It was like, what did you experience today? Yeah. What made you feel alive today? What did you see today? And then you're talking about the flowers in the middle of the road and the painted butterflies and like you're having a whole different conversation from the heart level instead of the head level. I love it. Yeah. Cause I, I think that <clears throat> 
my hippiest sort of outlook on it is that you're this thing that appeared from who knows where, whether it was the Big Bang or you're presented here by like this ethereal stork. <laughs> <laughs> Go get him! And you like birth out into the world and then it's up to you as you're this being that you have loved ones and you have everything that would surround you. Maybe you don't, but more than anything, you have your consciousness that says, mm-hmm. I want to figure out what this is. And ideally, when you're in the starting gates, it probably is saying, go see it. Go experience it all. Smell all the smells. See all the sights. Do anything you can. And then the re- the real world as we know it is kind of this cage that goes, try it. Try yeah. it. Goes, it's expensive. <laughs> and you're like, how much do I have to work to go see the Great Wall of China? A long time, my friend. Yeah. And then you're just your whole life is just trying to remember to be that little thing. And instead, mm-hmm. you're like looking in the mirror. I'm a guy in a suit. Now I care about that. And the little being's like, no, 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 no. Remember, we still want to go see stuff yeah. right in the hot air balloon. Yeah. And that balanced to me, like those two things, whew, that seems tough. And learning to trust. And this is something that um, I don't have it all figured out by any means. Let me just start by saying that. But the more I've learned to. I'm going to um, edit that part out, by the way. Trust. Ah! <laughs> Okay, (laughs) great. I have it completely all figured out. Um, The more that I trust that other part of me who's like, go see the Great Wall, go do this, the more it works out. Mm -hmm. And when I try to will myself or force myself into a situation or scenario, it never works out as great as when I just like trust and allow it to happen. And when I moved here to um, Los Angeles, I sold everything. I mean, I'm like, I'm going to go full hippie. Like, yeah. if I talk about this and teach about this, can I really do it? Mm-hmm. Like, what is this grand experiment really like? And, you know, I my, I have my, a business, a thriving business, and I, you know, um, changed my business model completely. I had all these consultants, and I kind of pared that down as well and and sold everything. Whoa. Moved out of this gorgeous office with this beautiful water view. I miss the office a little bit. But my ego misses the office a little bit. That's what I, my first question is going to be. Like, do you still think of some of the things? My ego misses the office and this desk. I had this gorgeous old wood desk that, like, so many people were like, if you ever sell that, call me that thing. Like, I sold in like 20 seconds. Um, and I just wanted to have the experience of getting rid of everything. Mm-hmm. And everything I own fits in my car right now. And it's a little SUV, so I will say it's not a tiny car. It's not a big Still, car. But even if you had a car. U-Haul, that's impressive. Yeah. And I wanted to know what that experience was like. And I wish I would have done it sooner. Yeah. Now, I want to say I, I don't have children, so I'm in a different situation where that reality was one I could choose to experiment with and mm-hmm. see what happens when I follow that little voice and at first, I'm like your business is going to fall apart, your life's going to fall apart. This is, your parents are going to judge you. This would be crazy. My parents might have judged me a little bit, but like a lot of people kept saying, "You have a lot of courage," which is the nice way of saying you're fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> We're worried about yeah, you. What are you doing? Like, are you sure? Don't you don't you just put it in storage? And I'm like, it's just stuff and things. Yeah, and it allowed me to you know to go on a three month sabbatical and kind of search of nothing and really. But the sabbatical, it wasn't like I wasn't doing anything. In that sabbatical, I, I got an agent for my, my new book. I got really clear on the, the type of meditation I teach, the programs I'm teaching. So the doing, the doing nothing part, there was a lot of happening in it. Yeah, There's a lot of being in it. And, and I find myself really torn between this doing type A, like I know how I'm an entrepreneur, I know how to be a CEO and run a company, and this 
just show up and be of service. Yeah. And keep trusting this opportunity is going to lead to this and this and this. And it's tough. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have it figured out. (laughs) I always find with myself that it's the practice that I it turns out is, is as important, if not the most important, where mm-hmm. I was, you know, getting into comedy and stuff and being like, I want to just focus on sort of that right frontal lobe creative side yeah. and not be as organized. But then kind of in the back of my mind, being like, but I think by nature, I'm relatively organized. Yeah. And then trying to go back from one to the other and realizing like, oh, I'm real rusty at this now. I had to work at both of them to be like, oh, I've always just been bad at sort of the business side of things because of what, I, and then like, if I really applied myself and then I would apply myself, I'm like, I'm not good at this. Yeah. <laughs> I always and just that's assumed okay. I was. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Like yeah. Totally. That's what I love about getting older. I'm like, yep, yeah, nope, not good at that. I'm gonna hire. I'm gonna hire someone to help me with that. That is worth every penny of that. Yeah. Like putting outsourcing that. Yeah. Yeah. I had the similar thing when I was like 23 or four. I was moving out of this place. I had furniture, I had all this stuff. I had to like load into a trailer, and a friend of mine just threw all his stuff in a duffel bag and was like, "You want those pillows?" <laughs> And I was like, you're you're gone? He goes, yeah, I'm, I'm all packed up. And I was like, that's what I want. So I did the same yeah. thing. I like got rid of a bunch of stuff and just kind of lived out of a suitcase in my car for a while. Yeah. There were things in the suitcase I didn't use by the end of like two years. Right. And I was like, oh, I can do this. You don't need a lot. Now oh I need God. a lot because I have a lot of hobbies and stuff where like yeah. everything has a specific usage, I think. Yeah. But uh, in that period, it was really much more like, I don't need all this right now. Yeah, it's fascinating. As someone who travels a lot, speaking, I'm sure you, you know, you're out doing tours and, and like a little, not as road. much as I used to. But yeah, yeah, you know, you know the rhythm of it. You are who you are, wherever you are. And like, I even figured out my hobbies. I picked hobbies where it didn't need stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like even yoga, I can do it on a towel in a, in a hotel room. I don't even need a yoga mat. It's nice to have one. Yeah. But I, I even started um, subconsciously creating even my hobbies around things that didn't require a lot of things. I used to make malas. I used to make jewelry and I even stopped doing that because carrying around beads is a lot of stuff, <laughs> you know, and like, I kind of, kind of miss that a little bit, but like, it just, even the, the experience of traveling light, light is, is liberating. And the, and now it's become a game. I really think hard before I purchase an item. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have a house. I live in a place. I'm not, like, you know, living in my car. <laughs> but I still have, I'm still, like, very much in the practice of, like, do I need X, Y, Z? Yeah. And what I bought supports my values. I bought kitchen utensils because I love to cook. And I bought a couple T-shirts because, you know, a girl's got to wear a T-shirt. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Just even noticing what is my need for objects and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we talk a little bit about uh, a salary cap lifestyle because I like in sports that yeah. like you can you can have as many players as you want. There's a cap on that, obviously. Mm-hmm. But you can, the the value of them can only be this amount. Mm-hmm. So like if you want to spend all your money on like a kitchen table, if you think you really need that, what's the rest of your salary cap look like? Like how are you filling out the rest of the room? Yeah. So that you know, all right, well let's get a new thing, but let's let something go. One of these players has to get cut from the team. That's that to me is very helpful and a very like easily um the analogy there is very easy for me to see like why do we have stuff stacked on top of in a storage unit somewhere let's get rid of it i love that analogy this guy once challenged me to um him and his wife were playing this game where they could only buy one thing a month Mm -hmm. 
and the value didn't matter. They could buy a car or they could buy like a cozy for their like, you know, beer mug. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the value was not a value thing. It was object mm-hmm. outside of groceries. And they, they tried to do it for, or they did it for a year and they challenged me uh, to try it. I lasted like three months. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, like I like, I buy a lot of books. You know, again, like my purchases go to my value. So I was like, uh, it, it was, yeah, it's interesting. One object a month. Wow. I wonder yeah. if I could do, I feel like I'm not a consumer. I really, and it goes back to fixing stuff, which I'm lately starting to think might have some psychological or sub conscious aspects to it where like I see something like I can fix that I'm just hauling in junk from like around the neighborhood oh be no problem but I hate seeing something that can be used be discarded because one minor thing is wrong with it where I'm like this thing still gets to be a part of the world it should still like just being in a landfill it's not ready for that yet yeah so I get it like there is some aspect of that I like that I could probably do it but then I as soon as I looked at my credit card statement I'm like oh I buy a lot of stuff yeah exactly. like I didn't think Miss Minimalist here I was like I don't buy a lot of stuff I bought a lot of stuff I was yeah. like I can't play your game I'm like I'm sorry I'm tapping out yeah. <laughs> I'm like no you know it's something you said like maybe we get like really serious for a second it's like I think people are the same with these objects you know like just because there's a little tiny nick on someone like don't cast them aside like we all are kind of assholes sometimes and we all have done stupid things mm-hmm. and to judge someone so like violently or to hold someone to such a standard that's so impossible we want to hold ourselves to yeah it's like don't cast aside people right like they're basically good (laughs) i think of it as like a team and i guess every analogy comes down to that for me (laughs) but if they have been on my team and made like a critical block or whatever you would call the analogy in the like they made an important basket or they you know scored a goal or whatever it would that impacted my life Mm -hmm. a move in my life that I remember because of them, they, it's hard for me to cut them. Yeah. They stay on the bench somewhere. They stay like on the field with me. Yeah. And I, I find that odd when people, ultra successful sort of alpha types are like, you've wronged me, you're done, you're dead to me, move on. Yeah. I only have the most successful, beautiful people on my team and my birthday parties are gorgeous. Yeah. Screw the rest of you. I feel like I never want to be yeah. one of those or around one of those people. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, and it goes to the, the, and I think when people get into that situation, it's coming from a deep place of, of fear. Yeah. And the idea, uh, the idealized life of the, that checklist again, that like, well, this is what this is supposed to look like. And this person who's got some flaws or nicks or, you know, who might show up drunk, they don't fit into that picture. They might embarrass me and yeah. I don't know how to deal with like, and it's this like, such a control and curation of life instead of just again allowing the life to be like just allowing into it and it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean being an idiot and letting go of any motivation or or, um, desire it just means letting go a little bit and trusting yeah like you have the capacity they have the capacity it's all gonna be fine (laughs) yeah definitely I think for me in in along lines of like um, are you done yet like a similar sort of axiom I have is could anyone in my life, if people were talking about them, would they say, oh, they have a good heart? Sometimes you say about that about like a lovable screw-up. Yeah. Other times it's someone that's just a titan of industry, but also, wow, they have such a good heart. That's what I want on my team. So yeah. everyone, if, as long as they meet that criteria, if they're goofing up or they're going to show up and kind of embarrass whoever or themselves at a party, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like everyone else would be there would have a good heart and be like, ah, they're all right. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, they kind. 
all right. Yeah. Are they kind most of the time? <laughs> all right. You know, I mean, like, really, are you kind most of the time? Probably. Sometimes you're probably not. Yeah, yeah. If you're, you know? your lapses, sure. Yeah. And that, and that, and just letting that just be okay. And again, lighten up. People just chill out. Like, do you, when, so go into traffic and kind of the Zenness or the Buddhist sort of, <laughs> Like when I think of Buddhism, I think of these bugs that are occasionally flying into our yeah. vision here to be like, "All right, do your thing," but you're bugging me. Like uh-huh. if you flew into the wall and I accidentally smacked, I wouldn't lose sleep over it. But <laughs> as it is now, I want to let you keep like existing. But get out of here. Uh-huh. And then in traffic, like the empathy or the zenness of someone speeds up next to you and then they do that like creep in mm-hmm. move. You're like, just ask. Just mm-hmm. roll down your window. I'll let you in. But just this, like, and then I'll do a thing that is if they have a terrible car or an average car, I'll be like, maybe their spouse is pregnant or maybe they have diarrhea. I'll instantly be very empathetic. If they have a very nice car, I'm like, you piece of shit. I hate them. They can only have problems if they have a bad car. Yes. And the nicer it, the car, the meaner they are. Ultra nice car. That's awesome. I just. This is how you've gotten where you are in life. Is you're always taking and taking. Let someone else in traffic. <laughs> That's awesome. I my LA traffic game is I'm immune to it at all levels. At all levels, I got honked at like probably four times on my drive over here today, and I'm like, whatever, man. Like I'm in this lane because I'm gonna eventually turn right. I'm not like going super slow. I'm not going slower than the speed limit. I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not gonna go ninety. Yeah. You could go around me if you want to, and I just like I'm listening to music, and I'm, like it drives my partner crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I'm not gonna be taken down. By like other it. people's like traffic drama, yeah, and like I did. This person was just like burr, 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 on the horn, and I'm like, I just merged. Like, where was I supposed to go? I feel like if just I was teaching I a child to drive here, or someone new to the city, I'd be like, Do you have anything to do today? Yeah. And if they said <laughs> nothing, I'm like, Let's go drive from here to wherever to downtown. <laughs> and if they found themselves going, Go, come on, <laughs> I'd be like, Where are you headed? And go. Well, I just don't like it. Like. Just, you got nowhere to be. You just said you had nothing to do today. Exactly. Try to approach it that way. Because if you were, just, everyone that's out there just, I gotta be there at this time. Oh. However they're living their life, it's incorrect to me. Yeah, just chill out. Yeah. Like, the, and this is like a little bit of a mind trick, right? The time, like when you're talking about the time you're in traffic, it's going to be the same amount of time whether you're angry about it or you're relaxed about it. <laughs> yeah. Like you're not actually going to change time. So you can change your relationship with the time. That's <laughs> a good point. And you can be like singing and like listening to a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're there. Or you can be angry the whole time having yelled at people and then you've like damaged your body and you're all inflamed and your heart's racing. Yeah. Like, just chill out. <laughs> I had a friend that was pulling into a gas station once and she didn't see this pedestrian guy walking. And she stopped, but yeah. it was kind of a, you know, he had to sort of step back a little bit and he started screaming and berating her. And then she rolled down the window and realized they knew each other. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, I got you. And she was like, Whoa. And I thought, like, that's another thing. It could be someone you know that you're honking and being a jerk to. Yeah. So relax. Right. And no, it just. Look, pay attention. Don't make up the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nah, I gotta make up kinda, my story. Yeah, the stories are kind of fun sometimes. Because I, be- I don't hate the guy in the nice car. I just am frustrated by it. So I allow myself <laughs> to be frustrated, but also, because I could be frustrated 100% of the time. Because uh-huh. it is an, an obnoxious move Yeah, when people are cutting in front of you like that. Yeah. 
Sometimes I'll go, all right, man, you got diarrhea. Do your yeah, thing. Exactly. You're that guy. It's okay. You're going to throw up. Or they might be having a baby or like, yeah. you never know. Right. I like making up stories on trains. When, mm-hmm. Like I'm in Europe and on the subways or the tubes. Like that's, that's a, helps me pass time. Like, yeah, that's Where fun. are they going? And that, like this um, woman once, where was I? I can't remember. I think I was on the train from the Denver International Airport out to the train station. And there was this woman, she was an older woman, and she had a children's book. And it was a children's book, but it was in Spanish. And she was reading the children's book. And I was like, this is fascinating. Like, does she know Spanish? Is she, is she reading it to learn Spanish? Is she going to give it to somebody? And I yeah. like, was just like so in her little world trying to figure out what she was going to do with this like book. And, and she got off the train and I'll never know, right? And it's like, <laughs> so why did I spend all that time making up that story about it? You know, like, we just, we never know. We it's never fun, know. Though. She could be a teacher. She could be like, you, you just never know. And it's, by way of saying you never know mm-hmm. and kind of going back full circle to the work conversation is you never know what your colleague has gone through before they walk in the door yeah they could have you know they could be in a terrible marriage they could have a sick relative they could have it you know a health issue that you have no idea about they so many things could be happening in their life that they're never going to tell you and if they're a little bit of a jerk some days, like maybe cut them a hall pass. Like maybe they're, yeah. maybe they have diabetes. Like you just don't know. And like, that's part of why we need to slow down a little bit. And most people's intent's good. Most. <laughs> I always want to believe that. That's the good angel on my shoulder. <laughs> and then there are these like the kids that went to Firefest that were entitled and sort of like <laughs> had the resources and the means and were just all the like I feel like there's a very the world owes people something feel and like uh, the grapes of wrath and I, f- I think it's Mom Jode is like if you if you really need something you can count on poor people. And there mm-hmm. is that, like, in traffic, there's a lot of, like, certain mm-hmm. neighborhoods you're in where people are genuinely like, go ahead, we're all here for each other. Yeah. And other times, I, I when I want to go, people mean well. I go, I think some people have never given it a second thought. I think everything's always been pretty easy for them. And so how can I be mad at them because of that? It turns out I can. Yeah. I still have found a way because I want them to sort of snap out of it. But I don't know. I think anytime you start yelling at someone, which not that I do that, but if I did... I would assume the next sentence out of their mouth was going to be, I found out I have six months to live. And then you go, oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. No. Or being the guy yelling at my friend at the gas station. Like, I just yeah. never want to be that guy. I always want yeah. to give people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And I think it's easier on you and your body when you are that person. Like, it's certainly easier to assume good than bad. Yeah. And just even the, right, the whole, like, secret, the book, the secret, that whole mentality, like, you bring about what you think about. And if you're thinking people have negative intent, you're going to see more negative intent. If yeah. you're thinking most people have positive intent, you're going to see more positive intent. And I was, having traveled a lot to teach, I've been sick out of the country more times than I would like to have been really 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 sick in Argentina one time and through the kindness of strangers I ended back in the United States like at one point I was kind of unconscious and I woke up and I'm in the like the back of the airport and there's like medics and they're like you know like and the the kindness of and a little shout out to, to Delta like being a miles whatever platinum whatever they had somehow I woke up in a hotel room 
because the kindness of strangers who made sure like they took care and they just took care of me and I ended up on a flight and I don't know how my ticket was rebooked and the concierge calls and wakes me up and they're like your car's here and I got on the plane and ended up back in the United States and received some you know medical care when I got back finally made it to Atlanta and I don't know who made that happen just someone yeah, did right yeah, and, man, that's incredible like, and that like that experience restored my faith in the kindness of or solidified my like there's more good in the world than bad like I could have like my laptop all that like I could have woken up with all my stuff gone everything that I took with me to Argentina came back with me <laughs> <laughs> I was helping uh, a woman who I sold a, a desk a few years ago I was helping her lift it out into her car and we couldn't quite get it. And this guy walking by with his family, just one of my neighbors, and I'd never met him, just popped over and was like, here, we got it. Yeah. Here we go. And we got it in smoothly, like didn't scratch anything up. And then we all high-fived each other and went our separate ways. Yeah. And I was like, I wish, I'd like those moments in the world. And I wish yeah. those happen more frequently. Yeah. Like I had a health scare in Puerto Rico over the holidays where Ooh. I was like, yeah, I had to extend our trip and be in the hospital a bunch. <sighs> and uh, But my mom and my girlfriend and my sister all stayed so there are certain attachments there where they've could you could look at it negatively and say like well they're beholden to me because i'm related or blah 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 but Mm -hmm. they all seem to reiterate like we're not going anywhere like you know we love you and that feeling of like no i'm glad i'm glad they you never know who you are how you're viewed as a person how can you just walk around i'm a good person you can't really yeah you kind of hope you are, but then when those things happen and you think positively about it, you're like, well, I'm, I would certainly do the same for them, but I'm really glad I have been up to this point a decent enough person where they didn't go, sorry, man, we can't cancel our flights. Gotta go. It's going to cost $300 to change a ticket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's the suka Again, Like that's the sweetness of seeing the demonstration of the behavior you hope people will be mm-hmm. or who they say they're going to be. And looking for those data points that validate that kindness or that support or that loyalty instead of the data points that validate the the negative sides yeah i have a a friend i said something very matter-of-factly to and he goes you just said a mouthful there as if i had like wronged him and I was like, "This is a bizarre misunderstanding." And yeah. I was like, "I don't, I don't know what you heard, but but it's certainly coming from it from a very like everyone's against him or out yeah. to get him or something to that effect." And I just thought, I don't, "I'm glad not everyone is that way." Yeah. And there's a sweetness too when people are seeing that behavior too much, or they see it in themselves. Mm-hmm. Like I'm the best, and people love me. Mm-hmm. Do you have people like that? Where mm-hmm. you, you kind of walk at them and you're like, "That's so sad that they think <laughs> they're like the most beloved figure." <laughs> <laughs> totally this, this is one of my favorite things about living in LA like I watched no TV like rare, I shouldn't say no TV very few mm-hmm. I'm exposed to very few mass media messages let's put it that way I don't know who anybody is I could be standing next to a Kardashian and not know it like I yeah. literally like I'm so oblivious that's fantastic <laughs> and it's so funny because the reactions you get here from people who are like <laughs> who like might have like 5 million followers on Twitter who are like big deal people yeah. and I'm like oh <laughs> Good hey I've heard of that you know or whatever <laughs> and they're just like like they're you can tell the who the reaction of their the quality of their character by how they react to like Oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like the worst Hollywood girlfriend ever because I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> and like, but, you know, with people who 
that yeah. I mean that it's funny sort of forces you to to live or at least them to for a moment to live how I think would be the most fair it's silly that we've elevated people to certain platforms mm-hmm. but we can't fault them for us all admiring what they do to right. a certain degree but I guess if on one hand, if none of us knew the music they made or the films they made or whatever, yeah. that'd be a shame for art. Yeah. On the other side, we all know and revere them that they get to walk into a party and have this peripheral feeling like everyone just saw me come in. Yeah. <laughs> it's more like like I want to feel that person's kindness instead of their ego. Yeah. You know, I I uh, had the experience of being in the same room as Oprah recently. Whoa. And that... I felt her kindness before I felt her ego. And I wouldn't even say that I experienced an ego of hers. She just permeated an energy of, of love really. And I'd never seen a room of celebrities lose their shit. It was awesome. <laughs> like they're like taking out their cameras and I was like, Oh, so there's celebrity and then there's Oprah. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, but that was like, a different experience than to some of the other celebrities who were in the room who were like, I have arrived now. And you're yeah. like, who's that dude who wants everybody to know he just walked in? <laughs> <laughs> and someone's like, that's the starting movie. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll see the movie. Um, and it, it was a different, very different way of energetically entering the space. To me, the I think comedy has such a great, well, maybe not now with YouTube and like people become stars sort of without the, the old style of like traveling city to city yeah. and just really grinding it out and everyone knew each other. You kind of, hey, you worked with so-and-so. Oh, I am in a month at this club. Oh, tell them this or, you know, ask about this joke. And there would just be this little kind of fraternity almost among it. So that when someone became weirdly successful or unexpectedly successful, mm-hmm. to sit in the green room was exactly the same. Because it was just this feeling like, it's just kind of a lottery pick, you know? Yeah. But when people, you know, their band breaks out, or it's, especially when it's done behind a bunch of branding or whatever, and they develop this kind of like, only two people can come in. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, gross. <laughs> what is that? It's fascinating. I think people that aspire happens. to that. I think that yeah. becomes a thing that to just be everyone at level seven that someone went like but there's an eight yeah i want to be up there at eight i want that is so bizarre to me because then like we were talking about the trust fund kids going to fire fest maybe having none of the tools to be empathetic and or thoughtful but then other people it seems like they had the beginnings to do that and they just shot right past it and become one of those like i've arrived now at the party Mm -hmm. and you'd wonder like why are you turning into a worse person now that things are going ostensibly better for you in your mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. well my answer from as a i wouldn't call myself a spiritual teacher but from someone who studies mindfulness and these softer things is the disconnection from self mm-hmm. because they're so over identified with an image or an idea of what they want to present um they've lost the connection with who they are and how they want to be in the world like the quality of character they want to be do i want to be kind or gracious or funny or charming oh, that makes of, a lot like of how sense. do i want to and and then it eventually, it rarely works out. You know, there's a there's a dark. We all have our own uh, night of dark soul, dark dark soul, <laughs> dark yeah, night of the soul, dark yes, night of the yeah, soul. Yeah, yes. That would be the Guinness, <laughs> <laughs> the dark night of the soul. Right? We all have our own version of it, and some people you know go a lot deeper in, and some people just touch the surface of an awakening and. For some people, these awakenings can be health health crises, and for some, they, they are some sort of a, a spiritual reckoning and path, but we all have our own version of it, and we all get the choice to go as deep 
as we want to go finding that connection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to go into like action, you know, like brought up the term mindfulness a couple times, but like mm-hmm. really talking about how to achieve it, yeah. or you know, the present, the moment, really experiencing you know each breath, mm-hmm. however deep you want to yeah. get into, like, oh, I'm really monitoring how much time I'm taking between blinks. Yeah, I'm really aware of this <laughs> oh, that being exhausting. <laughs> That's <so> terrible. <laughs> but I wonder, like, just the. You know, if you some people might is is mindfulness being the happiest and or best or most centered version of yourself, and so for some people that might be like I can't go out in public, I can't look online, I gotta just kind of just sit here in my little yurt and be a hermit. Mm-hmm. I can deal with that, and I'm mm-hmm. good. And then other people are like I can be on Twitter all day, I can go to a thousand parties, and I can still feel fine mentally fine mm-hmm. is that kind of the spectrum where we're working in well so basic mindfulness is the ability to be in the present moment without judgment or reaction to sensations thoughts feelings emotions so the ability to just be here right now and be okay with whatever thoughts happening with whether whatever emotions coming up but just the ability to just recognize it without reactivity or without judgment mm-hmm. that's it it's really that boring it's not that exciting really that's it it's like i'm here right now i'm having a pleasant experience this the stool is really comfortable for my back i like sitting up and there's a beautiful dog down here and i have this lovely guinness and i'm in the moment and it's it's pleasant Mm -hmm. and there's no story about any of it it's just an observation of what's happening that's it so my to play not to play devil's advocate but to just like to describe where i ping back and forth between my thoughts on that are Mm -hmm. the the world that we haven't decided how it was built or what it is, it's in a phase where it feels like someone that had their leg chopped off, like crawled themselves on their belly across <laughs> a desert and then they turned in this gold nugget and it made them a billion dollars and by God, that's the world. You, mm-hmm. It's just like only the strong survive and you got to overcome all challenges and obstacles and never stop going. <laughs> and which I feel like, all right, is that the world? You have to do that? Because when I'm in a traffic jam and then it turns out, oh, and they're closing a lane up ahead, we're going to be here here for ages you have to just all right i'm gonna zen this out nothing i can do about it i can't get helicoptered out just <laughs> zen it out. but then i think of myself in that traffic jam of like an animal being put in a cage i kind of like an animal that pauses the bar is like Cut it out! <laughs> i just so i don't want to be the one that just sits there like you got me but well, they're the same in the middle it's something in the middle it's noticing like the the desire to want to be the animal who claws himself out <laughs> and being like oh and maybe even being amused by that like that's so funny i am really funny that i want to do that i'm not going to do that but that's really funny and not getting carried away by it okay not and letting so, it just consume you take you over yeah and just being able to be with what is and and not sucked into it and sometimes it's it's really funny and sometimes it's really sad and not getting too attached to it being funny or sad and just noticing like that's what's happening right now like okay or that's the thought i just had like sometimes you know the things we say are hysterical like sometimes i'm like did you really just say that like and then i'm kind of like trying to look into my own head and be like who just said that that is weird <laughs> like i like bananas like really like really you haven't eaten a banana in months like why do you want a banana all of a sudden like who's saying that it's weird <laughs> and just notice just being able to laugh at that I'm like that's funny and that's it right and so when it comes to like practicing mindfulness it's it's about 
not biting the hook. Uh, Pema Chodron's a, a pretty famous like Buddhist monk, and she um, has a, a book called Don't Bite the Hook. And it's, you know, like we're like little fish swimming around. Are you going to bite that hook or not? Yeah. Sometimes you bite the hook. You're, you're not done going after that bait. Yeah. And then one day you're just like, I'm not going to take that bait anymore. But I see the hook. Mm-hmm. Does it mean to disconnect from emotions a little bit? No. If you feel the emotion come up, like someone cuts you off. Yeah. And then I, maybe I throw my hands up in a very zen-like, like, come yeah. on, man, we're all going to die. What are you doing? And now that guy gets out of his car and he's coming at me. And now I'm protective and I'm human primate and I'm going, ah! And then do I just roll down the window and be like, I'm sorry, I love you. Get back here. Like, oh my God, no, that's not mindfulness. <laughs> like, <laughs> mindfulness, you want to be smart and safe. Like, don't, like, and it, it's just the ability, like, so in that, like, someone cuts you off, you're like, wow, that really made me mad. Okay, what am I going to do with that? Mm-hmm. Or it might be you don't notice it till later when you got home, like, wow, that really made me mad. And just being able to understand that your reptile brain took over for a little bit. Yeah. Do you think anger in that capacity is a learned thing, like a genetic, something that you just can't control? Or can you look at it and be like, boy, my pulse really went up there. And why? Where's that coming from? Is that, <laughs> did I see my there's parents do that? <laughs> yeah, there's a spectrum. Some of it's super primal. And this is like, you know, brain like stuff that like we're trained to as a species survive mm-hmm. like parents who you know, worry about their kids being harmed their their desire for survival is far greater than your fear of them getting harmed right yeah we are wired for survival so some of it's super primal and anger helps us get out of the way of danger sometimes so it can be a valuable emotion and a valuable response and then sometimes there are learned behaviors that bring up like an anger response in us that's not a primal response Mm -hmm. and mindfulness helps you recognize the difference between them so for example like a primal anger might feel you might feel that more in your stomach where an emotional anger you might feel that more in your throat and practicing with mindfulness over time will allow you to have that internal data be like oh this is more of a throat anger (laughs) oh yeah okay this one's not real well the gut one that's real Uh And so there's a, you know, dealing with emotional reactivity is one of the the benefits of working with mindfulness is it helps you recognize the thoughts as they come, um, allow them to happen, investigate where is it happening in my body, and then not attach to it. And that doesn't mean don't respond and get out of the way if something's like (laughs) happening or you might need to yell at the guy who cut you off and be like, dude, you can't do that. Your blinkers broke or whatever. You're still going to be human yeah but there's a uh, you have fuller access and capacity to all your skills when you're in the moment yeah i, I used yeah. to do cowboy stuff and working with you know cattle and it's intense you know they're flying around there's really tight ropes here and there and like calves and this and that you know bawling the cows coming in oh, like wow. what are you doing to my calf and yeah so handling all that anytime you saw someone be nervous or flipping out you know they were so clumsy and if mm. you just you know i would quickly like and i feel like i got to this point it's you know at some point at some point in time where like oh like one it's way better for the cattle if you're calm and just yeah. relax with them and that sort of thing but yeah i could like mo- see what was happening a lot clearer it was almost sort of like a matrix thing of like when you're panicked or you know playing sports or anything you're doing where you're you're overthinking it or your adrenaline's way too high it's like you can't even see your hands in front yeah. of you 
you just relax and your heart rate slow. Everything seems so attainable and so like, so yeah, that makes a lot That's of sense. That's mindfulness. I like it. And you can achieve it through practice in non-life-threatening situations or non-heightened experiences. And it's just, it's like developing any muscle in your body. You're developing kind of a mindfulness muscle, a presence muscle that allows you that capacity in a non-charged situation. I've really been having to work on it lately with our dog, who's a, the sweetest boy. But on walks, he, for whatever reason, the first time we took him out on a leash, he walked behind us and he was just very nervous. <laughs> and now he's so comfortable around us. I think he, it comes from that. Like, he's just a confident little guy now. Mm-hmm. He's fine on a leash, but when he sees other dogs, he, like, mushes like a sled dog toward them. <laughs> and I hate it. I'm like, just relax, man. Just calm down. Yeah. But And I still... Sometimes it gets the better of me where I'll like want to like jerk the leash. I'm like, mm-hmm. stop it. But mostly I find ways to like, okay, what's happening here? Why is he doing this? Try to talk to him in this tone. Come here, buddy. Yeah. What's getting you? And he's just revved up. He's just beside himself. Something, his eyes are all weird. And yeah. then I just have to calm down. But if I let that get to me, I'm so disappointed in myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, the key to mindfulness is like soft eyes on yourself. You got to be gentle on yourself. <laughs> okay. And so when you notice, like just noticing, oh, wait, I just, I'm not handling them in that way, noticing it, come back to it. And, and holding that calmness, not only for your dog, but for other people, it's amazing, um, how one person's energy in a room can shift the dynamic of the room. Mm-hmm. Oh man, there's, that brings me to a question. I feel like we've I've taken up so much of your time. <laughs> <laughs> we've ended this episode, but if you want to do a little bonus chatting, <laughs> but if you need to go, obviously we'll, we'll end it here. And okay, uh, but this has been fantastic. Thank right you on. so much. Anything yeah, you want to like you. promote or anything like that? Um, you know, I'm I'm working on my next book, so it's not going to be available for another. You but you know, have a bunch months, online. But I have a bunch online. Oh right, yeah. I always yeah. forget about that. I'm always see. I was thinking in the future, not the now. So let me be present here um so on my my website i have seven seven books on a lot of the topics that we've talked about um a few of them in audio version and cool um the other ones online and in print so you can check out jayeller.com and that's uh two e's in there (laughs) j-a-e-e-l-l-a-r-d.com and you can find everything there cool and i'll link to it from spacecave.com as well as our twitter space underscore cave jay this was wonderful yeah thank Thank you you so much it's been awesome thanks I hope you liked it. I loved it. Uh, thanks again to Jay. I thought it was just a fantastic conversation. And hopefully we'll see more of her afterward. I, I feel that way about every guest where I want to you know, just run into them. And I think this year we might do uh, a space cave uh, get together. So, And that might extend to some of you who've called in. We used to do that. I don't really do it as much. But if you'd like to chat on the show a little bit, reach out. Space underscore cave. I keep saying it. Or maybe I keep thinking it. I don't know if I've said it, but I'm going to try to start an Instagram page because I take all these photos, whether it's of the beer and or the guests, and um, they're on the website. You can see thespacecave.com, but I think maybe more people funnel through Instagram to check out stuff like that. You can email the show, pings at thespacecave.com, if you have suggestions for beer or guests or topics or music, any of that stuff, send a message. Easy to get in touch with. And would love to hear your input. If there are things you want changed about the show, things you like or dislike, let me know. I'm happy to make some adjustments within reason. I mean, be reasonable, for heaven's sake. Okay. And sincere thanks to Dan. I, I feel like uh, I just kind of say it and so frequently, like, oh, thanks to Dan. But I genuinely mean it. And if you get a chance to um, 
follow him on Twitter or send him a little note, Dan from Orange. Puts this show together out of the goodness of his heart uh, down in Australia. We've never met face-to-face. We've spoken on the phone several times, but I feel like we're pals. Anyway, thanks to Dan. I really appreciate that he takes the time and does this. Okay, let's go ahead and get on out of here. This is some music. I got a note recently from Penelope, longtime friend of the show and friend of mine, helped out with One-Headed Beast. She's a fantastic artist. And uh, she, she was like, oh, I changed jobs. I don't get to listen to podcasts as much as I used to. But I checked in with you, heard all about your health stuff, and just wanted to send a note. She's always sending me nice notes just to say hey. And so this song, well, maybe the band name more than anything, not the song necessarily, made me think of her. It's called Penelope Isles. The song's called Chlorine. I'll be seeing you. Thanks for stopping by the Space Game. <laughs> 